My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. I'm reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward will be great in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. Not too long ago, I heard a speaker share this memorable quote. He said, everybody dies twice. The first time when the heart stops beating and the synapses in the brain shut down. The second time is when the dead person's name is uttered, read, or thought of for the last time after 50 or 100 or 400 years. It's a sobering and dramatic thought to be sure, which is why I remembered it. Interestingly, as I was trying to pin down the origins of the original context that it came from, Google didn't even know. It gave results that attributed that quote to the American author Ernest Hemingway, the English street artist or political activist known as Bansky, as well as saying it's actually something that the Egyptians thought of, or others saying that it's part of the Jewish tradition. The variations of the quote and the frequency it has been and is used again, thank you to the internet for showing me all these examples, are kind of fascinating. Coming from the different traditions, is it meant as a call to avoid pride, embrace humility, and recognize how fleeting is the praise of the applause of the world when it's being attributed to an artist or a writer? Are they expressing hope that somehow their works will perhaps extend their life by being remembered after their physical deaths? Whichever interpretation, there's something incredibly somber about those words. Humanity has struggled with self-awareness, learning about birth, dealing with the certainty of death, and responding in a wide variety of ways. Particularly around this time of year, we see it on full display. People making gravestones and coffins for decorations. There's a, a block away from here, one of our neighbors has this rather unique display of what has to be 50 skeletons looking like they're attacking the house. 
the paganization of our Christian culture and our holidays, these days of Halloween and the days after have been perhaps even more disastrously lost any connection to faith than what the Hallmark Channel's assault on Christmas has been. But I digress. Halloween begins an intentional time for the Christian to reflect on the final things, the realities of heaven, hell, purgatory, death, and judgment. We start by recalling all those who are in heaven who are called saints. That's the simplest, most straightforward, and most concise definition. The ones who are in God's holy presence for all eternity are the saints. And that's where the name Halloween came from. When we say, hallowed be thy name, for example, in the Our Father, we're saying, holy is your name about God. So the hallowed ones are the holy ones. And October 31st being the eve of All Saints Day, it used to be called All Hallows Eve, kind of like we call December 24th Christmas Eve. And then All Hallows Eve eventually became Halloween. In this feast, the church celebrates not just all the saints that we know and admire, the ones that we ask for their prayers like we've been doing throughout the month of October for Pope St. John Paul II, or Saints Simon and Jude, who shared a feast day on Saturday. This feast day is for all the ones we don't know. The ones who, you could say, in the view of the world, fall into the category of having died twice. Their physical life has ended, and their names are not remembered not spoken of anymore, that they have for all intents and purposes been forgotten, but not quite. And that's why this is a feast of great joy and hope for us. Those saints, they're part of the great multitude that St. John had a vision of in that first reading from the book of Revelation where he said he saw a great multitude which no one could count from every nation, race, people, and tongue. They are the ones who at one time were like us, as John explains in his letter in the second reading. We're God's children, but now they see him as he is. God lives in the fullness and the beauty of heaven is that for those who embrace their identity as God's beloved sons and daughters who strived to follow him by letting these words of the gospel, the Beatitudes, reshape their vision and conforming their lives to pursuing being blessed in the things that Jesus calls us to. After their hearts have stopped beating and the synapses in their brains have shut down, they found their lives had not ended because God, the source of life, utters their names for all eternity. They are seen and known and embraced and loved by him. And they now join this great cloud of witnesses praying for us, praying that we do not fall for the lies of the world that looks for acclaim and simply to have our names spoken by mere mortals, praying that we resist the lies of the evil ones, sowing seeds of despair and distress, praying that we follow their example, follow Jesus, 
and be found worthy to join them at the ends of our earthly lives. All holy men and women, pray for us.